the Comic Book Time Machine presents The Week of Weird. Seven days of weird comics. Day two, a weird hero. Hello and welcome back to the Comic Book Time Machine's Week of Weird. This is day two. And for the week of weird, we are doing the comic book time machine thing daily and kind of an experimental kind of, hey, let's do something weird for a change. And so we're still, you know, going back in time in our uh, metaphorical time machines to read comics from the past. But uh, these comics are things that are specifically weird or weird related or, um, you know, this is, let's face it, this is for Halloween. You know, we're doing this the week before Halloween. Now, this comic that I'm about to talk about today is a weird comic just by itself. It's just, it's just weird. That's why I chose it. Uh, the only reason uh, I bought this comic, honestly, was because it just looked weird and I had no idea how weird it actually was. Now, before I get into that, I'm going to just throw this out there. I feel like I talk too much about feeds and stuff. And so um, I'm not going to talk about feeds and stuff other than to say this is just going to go out on the regular feed and the swamp feed. Uh, all these are going to go on the swamp feed, even though I don't think there's really a swamp in this. Uh, and there's not really a swamp monster. But, you know, I figure if I put the first one out that way, might as well keep going that way. And the week of weird will just go out on onto both, both feeds. So... I said I wasn't going to talk about feeds, and then I did quite a bit, but yeah, it's time to get into this comic book. Let's have some fun with this. Uh, this comic book has been on my desk with the intention of uh, being covered in some sort of comic book time machine episode for a long time now, and I'm glad to finally be getting to it. I have a lot of comics like that. Um, you know, I know some people, <clears throat> uh, Professor Allen, who has like a really nice and neat comic database kind of thing. And he knows what he's going to record about 18 months before he records about it. And then he um, just follows that schedule. And he's, he's very good about following his schedule and knowing what he's going to do. And um, some people work well like that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, you know, to, to goof on him a little bit. But at the same time, uh, I actually kind of envy <laughs> that. Uh, I'm not that organized. In, and it's something I actually have to work hard uh, to organize myself and um, it's especially hard with my job where, you know, I have to organize myself to be able to work better with my team because they need that kind of organization. And it's not easy sometimes for me. And so the week of weird here is something I've organized, but there's still a little bit of a on the fly kind of thing. You know, it's kind of uh, fun, you know, who knows what's going to come out of it, but, um, I don't have the neat and tidy database. I just have stacks of comics that I intend to do something with and they get moved around and sometimes they get put in boxes and sometimes it's a box. You know, I had a shoe box once that had just a lot of interesting comic books in it from my collection that I pulled out of long boxes that I ended up taking them out of that uh, shoe box and, and just putting them into my collection. And then I ended up sorting through my collection again and <laughs> pulling other ones out. Um, but not this one. Uh, the interesting thing about this one is that this has just been on my desk. It's just been sitting on my desk in a stack and the stack has gotten moved away from the comic, but the comic stayed on the desk and another stack got placed with the comic because these, this was a stack of things I wanted to do for uh, you know, a podcast. 
and then those comics got moved, but not this. This one stayed on my desk and just had this kind of place of honor on my desk. And so it's kind of nice to uh, finally have gotten to it. Uh, it's I can't remember how long it's been on my desk. It's been on there, you know, at least maybe two years. I, I don't know. But it's been there just waiting and waiting and waiting. And now I'm finally getting to it. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it after after this. I feel like I need to do something special with it, but I, I just don't know. Anyway, I bought it because I knew it looked weird. Um, it's it's from Marvel Premiere. And so Marvel Premiere is an anthology title where they would kind of try out concepts uh, back in the in the 70s and and see what's what's going to stick and so there was you know a good doctor strange run in there um monarch star uh star star, star stalker uh, is one that that's a fantastic issue of just sci-fi comic there were a couple issues of uh, uh solomon kane uh, robert e howard character and you know there's just some really good stuff there and so as I was looking at these Marvel premieres and, and just trying to decide, you know, um, I know I, I think I was intending to buy the Monarch Starstalker one. And then I was looking through and seeing some of these other things on there. And I, I just saw this and it just looked funky. It looked weird. And, and it's, it looked like the kind of thing that I was going to like, uh, to be honest. And the cover, you know, so, well, I'll just I'll describe the color, the cover. Uh, it's Marvel premiere featuring the man brute called Wood God. The House of Ideas does it again, all-out action in the Marty, Mar- Marty Marvel manner. The most bizarre superhero of all. You must read A Birthday Nightmare. Okay, so already there's kind of this, I don't know, uh, the hyperbole is, is strong in this one. And then you have uh, Satter. And I never know if I'm saying it right, but I, I think I'm saying it right with the, when I say Satter, um, which means he has the legs of a goat. And he has the uh, torso and upper body of a human, but it's a little bit hairier than than a normal human. Although I've seen some men actually who actually kind of are are that hairy. But um, he uh, he's strong, and he's got these two kind of um, uh, hover craft vehicles. These are two seaters. They're shaped kind of like a snowmobile with little wings that have propellers inside of them, and and. They have people who look like um, AIM agents or something like that. They aren't AIM agents, but they kind of look like they they could be. And you know, they're they're wearing these suits that have masks that cover their heads that you know have breathing apparatuses on them. And yeah, he's fighting them and they're shooting lasers and stuff at him. And it looks like something that's going to be like I, I'm thinking before I read it the first time, I thought I, I'm we're getting some sort of nature versus science kind of thing, or, or maybe nature versus progress or, or nature versus technology. And, and this is because, you know, when I think of a satyr, I, 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 you know, they're the kind of gods of drunkenness and that kind of thing, but he's a woodland God, you know? And I, I when I see a satyr, I think of the woods, the forest, you know, nature. And yeah, that's, that's, so that's what I think we're getting. And when they say he's the most bizarre superhero of all, it's because he's a Greek mythology satyr and he's going to be fighting bad guy scientists or something like that. And the cover just promises lots of, you know, excitement and weirdness. Uh, So this this book is written by Bill Mantlo. And so you can expect some weirdness from him sometimes. He's a solid writer. This is uh, 76. So this is before he's getting into some of the things that I think of as his his classic 
runs on ROM and Micronauts where he kind of takes these things and runs with them and does some really incredible, incredible sci-fi with them. Uh, the cover date's August 76. The on-sale date is May of 76. The cover price, 25 cents. And, you know, we can all moan and groan about that right now. But, uh, and I know I paid more than that. I'm not sure how much I paid for this. But, uh, like I said, Bill Mantlow is the writer. Keith Giffen is the artist. And he's inked by Klaus Jansen, who, you know, normally is um, kind of rose to fame with uh, his inking of Frank Miller's work. But, I mean, there's there's some pretty serious talent here. And uh, yeah, so as, as I'm thinking about how to talk about this comic, I wish I could just read it. I wish I could just read the whole thing because that would kind of really express the, the oddness of what's going on in here. But I mean, just page one, he you've got this setter and he's and I apologize if I'm saying this wrong because I'm saying it wrong the entire episode. But uh, he's he's walking through town and it's an empty town and he's screaming, father, father. And, and then it says uh, the title birthday, chapter one. And there's no place in the book where you get chapter two, a chapter two break. Um, so suggest to me this was not meant to be the end of the story. Unfortunately, it, it kind of ended up being sort of the end of the story. We'll talk about that later, but it feels like, uh, he's, he's walking through this empty town and it feels kind of like a, a twilight zone kind of thing. There's a, tra- a crashed truck. There's, um, nobody's in the, in the, the stores and it's just, it's just this empty town. And it fe- feels like that episode, where is everybody? Or it also feels like that Arby's commercial. If you're old enough, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not old enough, look it up. It's worth it's worth the 30 seconds to look it up and the 45 seconds to watch it. So the guy's name is Wood God. I don't know how he gets his name, but as he's walking through town, the narration is saying, you know, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know things, but he knows feelings. And um, then the a guy comes and when I I said it's like Twilight Zone episode, I feel like this guy is kind of wandering into the Wood God story from a Twilight Zone episode and just ending up here. And so he's, he's walking through town. Where is everybody? They're all dead. And then he sees Wood God and Wood God mistakes this guy as, as father. I don't know what that means. Why is he mistaking him as father? And so the guy's like, Nope, I've done a lot of things in my life, but I sure ain't never fathered someone like you. He throws a rock at Wood God. And so Wood God just throws him through a window. And then we flashback, flashback to his birth. And I am going to read some of this. Uh, What's interesting And I'm going to talk a little bit about the art style and stuff, but there are so many panels in this book, so many small panels and they're, they're effective. And so this has his, uh, has his dream in the first panel in the top page, top of the page is shaped like his profile. And then you have these very small panels along the top of the page as he's kind of opening his eyes, closing his eyes, opening his eyes, and finally seeing his father. And his father says, he's waking up, Ellen, he's awake. Hello, son, how do you feel? And then Wood God says, feel? And his father says, yes, are you all right? Do you feel pain or... And then Ellen comes in and says, he can't understand you, David. Even though you've engineered him for early speech, he's still, uh, he'll still have to learn comprehension. And then um, David says, and he will learn it. He will understand. Already his brain cell count has tripled and he's only five minutes old. Just look into his eyes. He's registering every word I'm saying, matching my lip movement so he can form the words himself. 
And then she says, I feel silly saying this, David, but he is only a baby and I think he should get some sleep. You see, he's not a baby. He is a full grown adult satyr. <laughs> so the father uh, gives him a tranquilizer and and then gets him to fall back asleep. And then later on, um, I don't know if this is still the first day of his his life, but then you have this scene where you have this full grown satyr um, with bandages on his lower legs. So he can't see that his lower legs are different than his his parents. His dad is standing in front of him on one knee. So not standing in front of him, obviously, uh, but he's in front of him on one knee and he's got his arms out reaching out to him. And it's like, you know, asking a baby to come and walk. He's like, that's it, son. Walk, walk to me. Look at it. And he's just two days. Okay. There's the, there's the time right there that uh, he's walking. He shows full coordination, total grasp of how to move through the environment. Just look at him. And so it's totally, you know, he's not a baby. He's, he's a, an adult body and he's got a bandage on his head and he's got these bandages on his legs and, um, his, parents quote unquote talk about how he's going to feel when he learns that he's different from everyone and right now they're just going to let him grow his own way and let him play and there's no reason he should ever known this is specifically what what he says there's no reason he should ever know he was born of a clone graft a combination of human and animal genes and so the clone graft uh apparently just was goat genes as far as the lower legs go anyway the flashback is interrupted by a mean dog that he kills with his bare hands then we go back to the flashback and we find that um there is no security here for this lab there's just a dude just looking in through the window and seeing them talking to wood god and so we come to um the probably the most cliche bit of of the whole thing where this guy goes into town and he is going to rally the troops. He And this is his thought process. He's, he's sweet lordy. <laughs> I told the boys these here scientists was up to something. Making monsters, I says. Toying with the almighty. Let's see who laughs now. I know where to find them. At the bar, like always. Mean, drunk, and just spoiling for a fight. And then he goes and, and tells them all about the monsters. And says, uh, you know, you need to come. You need to see this thing. Because it is not a joke anymore. They are actually doing this bad stuff. And they arrive at the farm where uh, they attack, they kill his quote-unquote parents, they shoot him, and then they go into a lab in the barn where they find this pink substance that's in these vats, and they break the vats, and then suddenly there's this pinkish-purplish gas that gets released upon the land, and it kills them all except for Wood God, who, who gets up, and he is just fine. And then we cut to people watching a film of Wood God. People in Federation-issued original series Star Trek uniforms. And they tell each other information that we don't know, but they should know and shouldn't need to repeat over and over. But um, it's called exposition. And we find out that Wood God's parents were working on a super deadly nerve gas. And this super deadly nerve gas that they were supposed to be working on while they were creating wood god i guess and that has killed everyone and everything except wood god and that guy he threw through a window who is is now dead and now these other scientist guys want to find out who or what wood god is as they see this one living thing walking through the town 
So they send in the troops and one of the scientists goes along with them and they fight Woodgod and he defeats all but the leader who yells out, what fathered you as Woodgod is getting ready to destroy him and beat up his face. And as he says the word father and that triggers Woodgod, father, he realizes father is dead and he stops fighting and stumbles away as the scientist puts two and two together that David Pace created Woodgod. And he's a madman for doing so. And now Woodgod has killed David Pace. And now he will have to pay. And it's all very weird. And it all feels pretty absurd. But it's played totally straight. It is not played for camp. And I feel like there's these campy ideas. Um, and the art feels a little wooden. Um, but the art is also very experimental. Like I said, there are so many panels. So page 16 and 17. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten panels on page 16, along with a couple images that cross over the panel lines. Page 17, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve panels on each page. And it's used very, very effectively. It allows for there to be a lot of story. And it elevates the story, honestly, by by doing this kind of experimental thing. Um, there's one, oh, where's that one panel of Woodgod's face? Here it is. It's after he killed the dog and he realizes that the dog is is dead. And it has uh, two panels. One of them has Woodgod's uh, right side of his face. The other has his left side of his face. And on one side, he has a tear. And then on the other side, he doesn't. And there's a panel or not, there's a there's a narration caption on the one side that says part of Woodgod cried. And then in the next panel over, it says part of him did not. But then crossing over between the two panels, so like going through the uh, the gutter, is this really tiny image in front of his face of him kneeling as much as you can when you have goat legs uh, by the dead dog. And, you know, so clearly, I mean, this is what he's thinking about. And there's just some really interesting and kind of experimental art stuff going on here. Later on, there's... Uh, there's the the kind of hover vehicles that they're driving. When he pulls one down, it, it breaks through the panel. Um, and and when there's an explosion, the explosion breaks through the panel as well into the, the next panel over. But it's the next panel over to the left, which is the opposite direction you're reading from. And yeah, it just there's, there's something about this that feels like it's <laughs> it's written and drawn in a more sophisticated way than the campy goofiness of it should allow. Uh, this this comic is is it's kind of like uh, Wood God himself. He's part man, part animal, grafted together. There's ideas and there's heart and there's some even some philosophical concepts grafted onto this really silly concept of the misunderstood wandering monster cliche. That's the misunderstood wandering monster is a satyr. <laughs> And I would totally accept, by the way, this idea of him being a satyr, if satire, satyr, if there was just a better reason for him to be this creature. But the the absurdity, it attracts me and it's got me laughing a little bit, but then it also has me just kind of uh, admiring the artistry that's going into the scripting and that's going into the the artwork. Um, now, the whole him, you know, this is what day three, maybe I don't know, day day two, day three of this guy's life, 
and he's kind of just still exploring just learning about the world around him. And obviously he's doing it in an accelerated manner, but uh, it reminds me a lot of the whale from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy who's just brought into existence and just starts thinking through and labeling things and, and trying to understand why, what's going on. What's this? There's wind. Uh, I'm going to call this, this sensation against me, the wind. And I'm going to call the, uh, I'm going to call the, the thing at the end of my, my uh, body, a tail, you know, and it's just him just coming to life and, there's a horrible turn of events there, but he's just figuring out life. And then this other thing that he's working through that I find kind of interesting, it's uh, this idea of scream. And I, I, it's kind of his um, – the feeling that he feels before he has emotion. So on page uh, three, when the guy who's still alive um, – he's one of the attackers actually from the farmhouse I believe. But he uh, throws a rock at – Wood God hits him in the head and the narration says rock gives rise to scream, scream to pain and pain gives way to understanding. You are not my father. Later on, on page uh, 10, he is uh, fighting the dog scream screams out as foam flecked teeth bite deep into the skin muscle of his arm and scream goes mindlessly berserk as animal takes over. Hands reaching up to grip, to twist, scream, screaming out again as animal breaks animal. And it is over except for scream. And then he yells out, father, father. And on page 14, you get a similar kind of narration. Um, this is when he first has that feeling because they come and they are beating up the husband and they're holding the wife uh, captive and um, he comes in and says, scream drew wood got out. And though it was the first time he'd ever heard it, something in him knew what scream was father. I heard. And then they shoot him. And then on page 16 and 17, he's waking up after everyone is basically dead. And it says scream was gone, lost in the folds of night. Wood got awoke to silence. Father, father, Silence had no answer, and would God left the purple mist, hung heavy about him, and he never saw what lay beneath it, growing colder on the ground. It's his father. Scream enveloped him, made him run blindly through the forest of the blind, running, living through the waters of the dead. Scream drove him down onto the streets of man. Father! And it's showing all these dead animals that he's running by and stuff. And Scream answered him mockingly by not answering at all. And so you just have this, this idea of, of the scream. And I'm curious, like, what was he, what were they planning on, on doing with this idea? Um, page 27, when he's fighting the scientists uh, and their, their army. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, he actually starts talking about scream. Um, he's beating them up and he's, he's, he's got one of the guys down and he's punching him and, he yells, man is born of scream, man dies of scream, go to scream, man. <laughs> and I'm just trying to figure out what, what does this exactly mean? The very end, um, when he realizes that his father is dead and he's going to smash this scientist's mask and kill the last one. And he's, he stops and he turns around and he says, man means nothing. Scream has taken father. Scream will take wood god. We are all scream. I just want to, I can't help you know, thinking, of course, we, we all scream for ice cream, but it's just this idea of um, 
this kind of rage or this internal um I don't know, righteous indignation or, or what it's intended to be, but it's this very interesting primal thing that uh, this creature has. And, you know, I'm reminded of a few different things. I'm reminded of uh, Machine Man. And I wonder, like, if, if they had done future stories of him, future solo stories of, of Wood God, would it have been the kind of thing where he's kind of traveling around like Machine Man or like <laughs> like your, your 80s uh, A-team style of thing where he's going from place to place helping people and – finding people who are, you know, scared of him or want to kill him, want to attack him. He's being chased maybe by the scientist from that, uh, whatever group it is. Um, it just, <laughs> it all adds to something that I can totally understand why it was only one issue of Marvel premiere and not more than that. Um, I, I totally understand. I mean, he has some scattered appearances after this, but, uh, it just, didn't amount to much. And that's because this is a really odd creation and it's a Bill Mantlo creation. I mean, when they, in the, in the credits, it says conceived and written by Bill Mantlo. And I, I can't help thinking that he just, you know, has this idea. He wants to do this idea and he's, you know, this is the perfect place for him to do it. This Marvel premiere. It's a tryout book. Let me try out my new weird superhero. So there's part of me that wishes we could have gotten something like that. But then on the other hand, we did get that with uh, Machine Man from Jack Kirby, and yeah, I, and I'm glad that you know Bill Mantlo did the other things that he got to do, and he he did them very very well. So I do not want to trade the incredible run on Micronauts and Rom that he did, and the really w good work that he did on the Incredible Hulk. I do not want to trade that in for what could have been a you know four or five issues of the Man Brute called Wood God before it got canceled on a cliffhanger. And instead we get this kind of ending almost on a cliffhanger. And again, it's it's one of those things where because of the way it ends, kind of like the issues I talked about yesterday with uh, Submariner and Aquaman, because of the way it ends, it just ends so weirdly and abruptly. And yes, it's meant to be continued later on, but there was no promise of being continued. It just says end with a question mark. But anyway, that brings us to an end here. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to say uh, I'd love to hear from you about um, if, if you have do you have any comics that are weird like this that are just they just stuck out to you as something that's like this is so weird and you know just as I'm reading along in this comic book it just everything keeps changing and it all makes sense in the context of this is the world he was creating but every step along the way I just feel like he's 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 turning left when I thought he was going to turn right both are legitimate turns on the street. But just not the ones I would have expected. I mean, that the the scientists were just working on the formula for a, a nerve gas. And along the way, they're making a clone of a monster just from Greek mythology. Yeah, sure. You just you just go along with it. And then and then it just completely makes makes sense, you know, by the rules of the world that they're creating. Uh, yeah. So anyways, if there's a weird comic that you find just to be odd, but you really, really love it, you know, let me know about that. I would love to hear from you. Um, we're going to do, if there's any listener feedback we'll, uh, for this week of weird, we'll talk about it in the last day. You can contact us at feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine. And we're on Twitter at comictime. Uh, I do want to send out a very special thank you so much to Professor Allen from the Corderman podcast. 
among other things, uh, for finding the mistake that I did and uploading the wrong episode um, for yesterday's episode of the Week of Weird. That was sad and embarrassing. But uh, if you did download the wrong episode, it is the right one now. So if you delete it from your iPod or whatever, and then you know download it again, it'll it'll be the right one. So thanks for your patience with that. If you did. <laughs> download the wrong ones uh yeah so for now i do want to say just uh thank you again for listening and i want to wish you godspeed cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny.